Good morning and welcome to the morning segment of the Thursday, January 11th episode of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. I am Wayne Floyd, your host. The Faith Comes From Hearing podcast is, um, is a podcast that is um, focused on prayer, devotion, the reading of the scripture, and Bible study. The Faith Comes From Hearing podcast is a humble member of the Christian podcast community. You can find us over at christianpodcastcommunity.org. It's a lot of great listening over there. Over 60 well-curated podcasts, wide, wide variety of topic areas, all covered from a biblical worldview. My brothers and sisters in Christ over there doing a great job for the kingdom. I would encourage you to go on over there. Um, I will guarantee you're going to find something over there to listen to, and there's a really good chance you're going to find more over over there to listen to than you actually have time to listen to it in. All right. Well, another day in the week. We're, We're past the middle of the week. And we're going to be doing like we usually do. We're going to be doing our scripture reading. And then for this evening, we're going to be, get, be continuing on in our study of the of John chapter 17. So let's go ahead and open up with the fifth day morning prayer. This one is called the giver. Let's pray. Creator, upholder, and proprietor of all things. We cannot escape from thy presence and control, nor do we desire to do so. Our privilege is to be under the agency of thy omnipotence, righteousness, wisdom, patience, mercy, and grace. For thou art love with more than parental affection. We admire thy goodness, stand in awe of thy power, abase ourselves before thy purity. It is the discovery of thy goodness alone that can banish our fear. Allure us into thy presence, help us to bewail and confess our sins. We review our past guilt and are conscious of present unworthiness. We bless thee that thy steadfast love and attributes are essential to our happiness and hope. Thou hast witnessed to us thy grace and mercy. In the bounties of nature, excuse me, in the bounties of nature, in the fullness of thy providence, in the revelations of scripture, in the gift of thy son, in the proclamation of the gospel. Make us willing to be saved in thy own way, perceiving nothing in ourselves but all in Jesus. Help us not only to receive him, but to walk in him, Depend upon him, commune with him, follow him as dear children, imperfect but still pressing forward, not complaining of labor but valuing rest, not murmuring under trials but thankful for our state, and by so doing let us silence the ignorance of foolish men. Amen. All right, and now our morning devotion from Spurgeon's morning and evening for December or for January 11th. Excuse me trying to back up a month there and the text for it this morning is from luke 8 13 these have no root my soul examine thyself this morning by the light of this text thou hast received the word with joy thy feelings have been stirred and a lively impression has been made but remember that to receive the word in the ear is one thing and to receive jesus into thy very soul is quite another superficial feeling is often joined to inward hardness of heart and a lively impression of the world is not always a lasting one. In the parable, the seed, in one case, fell upon ground having a rocky bottom, covered over with a thin layer of earth. When the seed began to take root, its downward growth was hindered by the hard stone, and therefore it spent its strength in pushing excuse me, its green shoot aloft as high as it could, but having no inward moisture derived from root nourishment it withered away. Is this my case? Have I been making a fair show in the flesh without having a corresponding inner life? Good growth takes place upwards and downwards at the same time. 
Am I rooted in sincere fidelity and love to Jesus? If my heart remains unsoftened and unfertilized by grace, the good seed may germinate for a season, but it must ultimately wither, for it cannot flourish on a rocky, unbroken, unsanctified heart. Let me dread a good godliness as rapid in growth and as wanting in endurance as Jonah's gourd. Let me count the cost of being a follower of Jesus. Above all, let me feel the energy of his Holy Spirit, and then I shall possess an abiding and enduring seed in my soul. If my mind remains as obdurate as it was by nature, the sun of trial will scorch, and my hard heart will help to cast the, the heat the more terribly upon the ill-covered seed and my religion will soon die, and my despair will be terrible therefore. O heavenly sower, plow me first, and then cast the truth into me, and let me yield thee a bounteous harvest. All right. Well, our reading for today, and I'm going to need some water before I do this. Um, our reading for today, ooh, got to back up there. Okay. So we're going to read from Genesis 24, verse 52, through Genesis 26, verse 16. We're going to meet, read Matthew 8, verse 18 to the end of the chapter. Uh, Psalm 10, the first 15 verses, and Proverbs 3, verses 7 and 8. And just a minute, need some water here. Okay. So Genesis 24, starting in verse 52. Now it happened that when Abraham's servant heard their words, he bowed himself to the ground before Yahweh. The servant brought out articles of silver and articles of gold and garments and gave them to Rebekah. He also gave precious things to her brother and to her mother. Then he and the men who were with him ate and drank and spent the night. And then they arose in the morning and he said, Send me away to my master. But her brother and her mother said, Let the young woman stay with us a few days or even ten. Afterward she will go. And he said to them, Do not delay me, since Yahweh has made my way successful. Send me away, that I may go to my master. And they said, We will call the young woman and ask about her wishes. Then they called Rebekah and said to her, Will you go with this man? And she said, I will go. Thus they sent away their sister Rebekah and her nurse with Abraham's servant and his men. And they blessed Rebekah and said to her, May you, our sister, become thousands of ten thousands. And may your seed possess the gate of those who hate him. Then Rebekah arose with her young woman, and they mounted the camels and went after the man. So the servant took Rebekah and went. Now Isaac had come from going to Beer Laharoi, and he was living in the land of the Negev. And Isaac went out to muse in the field toward evening, and he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, camels were coming. And Rebekah lifted up her eyes, and saw Isaac, and dismounted from the camel. Then she said to the servant, Who is that man walking in the field to meet us? And the servant said, He is my master. Then she took her veil, and covered herself. And the servant recounted to Isaac all the things that he had done. Then Isaac brought her into his mother Sarah's tent, and he took Rebekah, and she became his wife, and he loved her. Thus Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. Genesis 25 now Abraham took another wife whose name was Keturah, and she bore to him Zimran, and Jokshan, and Medan, and Midian, and Ishbak, and Shua. Now Jokshan was the father of Sheba and Dedan, and the sons of Dedan were Ashurim, and Latushim, and Leumim, and the sons of Midian were Ephath, Ephath and Epher, and Hanak, and Abida, and Eldah, Eldaah, 
All these were the sons of Keturah. And Abraham gave all that he had to Isaac. But to the sons of the concubines which Abraham had, Abraham gave gifts while he was still living. And he sent them away from his son Isaac eastward to the land of the east. These are the days of the years of Abraham's life that he lived, 175 years. And Abraham breathed his last and died in a good old age, an old man and full of days. And he was gathered to his people. Then his sons Isaac and Ishmael buried him in the cave of Machpelah, in the field of Ephron, the son of Zohar the Hittite, facing Mamre, the field which Abraham bought from the sons of Heth. There Abraham was buried with Sarah his wife. Now it happened after the death of Abraham that God blessed his son Isaac, and Isaac lived by Beer Lahai Roy. Now, now these are the generations of Ishmael, Abraham's son, whom Hagar, the Egyptian, Sarah's servant woman, bore to Abraham. And these are the names of the sons of Ishmael, by their names, in the order of their birth. Nebaioth, the firstborn of Ishmael, and Kedar, and Abdiel, and Mibsam, and Mishma, and Duma, and Masa, Hadad, and Tima, Jeter, Nafish, and Kadema. These are the sons of Ishmael, and these are their names by their villages and by their camps, twelve princes according to their tribes. These are the years of the life of Ishmael, 137 years. And he breathed his last, and died, and was gathered to his people. And they dwelt from Havilah to Shur, which is east of Egypt, as one goes towards Assyria. He settled in the face of all his brothers. Now these are the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham became the father of Isaac, and Isaac was forty years old when he took Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean of Paddan Aram, the sister of Laban, the Aramean, to be his wife. And Isaac entreated Yahweh on behalf of his wife, because she was barren, and Yahweh was moved by his entreaty. So Rebekah his wife conceived. But the children struggled together within her, and she said, If it is so, why then am I this way? So she went to inquire of Yahweh. And Yahweh said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples will be separated from your body. And one people shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. And her days to give birth were fulfilled, and behold, there were twins in her womb. And the first came forth red, all over like a hairy garment, and they named him Esau. Afterward his brother came forth with his hand holding on to Esau's heel. So his name was called Jacob, and Isaac was sixty years old when she gave birth to them. And the boys grew up. Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the field. But Jacob was a peaceful man living in tents. Isaac loved Esau because he had an appetite for hunted game. But Rebekah loved Jacob. And Jacob had cooked stew. And Esau came in from the field, and he was famished. Then Esau said to Jacob, Please give me a swallow from the red stuff, this red stuff, that f this red stuff, for I am famished. Therefore his name was called Edom. But Jacob said, First sell me your birthright. And Esau said, Behold, I am about to die, so of what use then is the birthright to me? And Jacob said, First swear to me. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. So Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank and rose and went away. Thus Esau despised his birthright. Genesis 26, verses 1-16 through 16. Now there was a famine in the land besides the previous famine that had occurred in the days of Abraham. So Isaac went to Gerar, to Abimelech, king of the Philistines. And Yahweh appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Dwell in the land of which I shall tell you. Sojourn in this land, and I will be with you and bless you. 
For to you and to your seed I will give all these lands, and I will establish the oath which I swore to your father Abraham, and I will multiply your seed as the stars of heaven, and I will give your seed all these lands, and by your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, because Abraham listened to my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. So Isaac lived in Gerar. Then the men of the place asked about his wife, and he said, She is my sister, for he was afraid to say my wife, thinking, Lest the men of the place kill me on account of Rebekah, for she is beautiful in appearance. Now it happened, when he had been there a long time, that Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked out through a window and saw, and behold, Isaac was caressing his wife Rebekah. Then Abimelech called Isaac and said, Behold, surely she is your wife. How then did you say she is my sister? And Isaac said to him, Because I said, Lest I die on account of her. And Abimelech said, What is this you have done to us? One of the people might easily have lain with your wife, and you would have brought guilt upon us. So Abimelech commanded all the people, saying, He who touches this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. And Isaac sowed in that land, and reaped in the same year one hundredfold, and Yahweh blessed him. And the man became great, and continued to grow greater, until he became very great. And he had possessions of flocks, and possessions of herds, and many servants, so that the Philistines were jealous of him. Now all the wells which his father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham his father, the Philistines stopped up by filling them with earth. Then Abimelech said to Isaac, Go away from us, for you are too mighty for us. You are too mighty for us. All right. Matthew 8, verse 18 to the end of the chapter. Now when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to depart to the other side of the sea. Then a scribe came and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, The foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And another of the disciples said to him, Lord, permit me first to go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, Follow me and allow the dead to bury their own dead. And when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being covered with the waves. But Jesus himself was sleeping. And they came to him and got him up, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you so cowardly, you men of little faith? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the sea, and it became perfectly calm. And the men marveled and said, What kind of a man is this, that even the winds and the sea obey him? And when he came to the other side, into the region of the Gadarenes, two men who were demon-possessed met him as they were coming out of the tombs. They were so extremely violent that no one could pass by that way. And behold, they cried out, saying, What do we have to do with you, son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Now there was a herd of many swine feeding at a distance from them, and the demons began to plead to him, saying, If you are going to cast us out, send us into the herd of swine. And he said to them, Go. And coming out they went into the swine, and behold, the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea and perished in the waters. Now the herdsmen ran away, and went to the city, and reported everything, including what had happened to the demoniacs. And behold, the whole city came out to meet Jesus. And when they saw him, they pleaded with him to leave their region. All right. Psalm 10, verse 15 verses. Why do you stand afar off, O Yahweh? Why, did you, why do you hide yourself in times of distress? In his lofty pride the wicked hotly pursues the afflicted. Let them be caught in the thoughts which they have devised. 
For the wicked boasts of his soul's desire, and the greedy man curses and spurns Yahweh. The wicked in the haughtiness of his countenance does not seek him. All his thoughts are, there is no God. His ways prosper at all times. Your judgments are on high, out of his sight. As for all his adversaries, he snorts at them. He says in his heart, I will not be shaken. From generation to generation, I will not be in adversity. His mouth is full of curses and deceit and oppression. Under his tongue is mischief and wickedness. He sits in the place of the villages, where one lies in wait. In the hiding places he kills the innocent. His eyes steadily watch for the unfortunate. He lies in wait in a hiding place as a lion in his lair. He lies in wait to catch the afflicted. He catches the afflicted when he draws him into his net. He crouches, he bows down, and the unfortunate fall by his mighty, by his mighty ones. He says in his heart, God has forgotten. He has hidden his face. He will never see it. Arise, O Yahweh, O God, lift up your hand. Do not forget the afflicted. Why has the wicked spurned God? He has said in his heart, You will not require it. You have seen it, for you have beheld mischief and vexation to take it into your hand. The unfortunate commits himself to you. You have been the helper of the orphan. Break the arm of the wicked and the evildoer. Seek out his wickedness until you find none. And finally, Proverbs 3, verses 7 and 8. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear Yahweh and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your body and refreshment to your bones. All right. Well, that is our reading for the day. I thank you for spending this time with me. Um, and I would, you know, um, I, I, I pray that this time together that you and I spend in the scripture helps to keep us saturated in the word of God as we so badly need to be. Um, I hope you have a wonderful day. I would continue to implore you to do all you do for the glory of God. And I hope to see you for the evening segment. We're going to close out with prayer from Valley of Vision. This one is called God Enjoyed. Let's pray. Thou incomprehensible but prayer hearing God. Known but beyond knowledge, revealed but unrevealed, my wants and welfare draw me to thee. For thou hast never said, Seek ye me in vain. To thee I come in my difficulties, necessities, distresses. Possess me with thyself, with the spirit of grace and supplication, with a prayerful attitude of mind, with access into warmth of fellowship, so that in the ordinary concerns of life my thoughts and desires may rise to thee, and in habitual devotion I may find a resource that will soothe my sorrows, sanctify my successes, and qualify me in all ways for dealings with my fellow men. I bless thee that thou hast made me capable of knowing thee, the author of all being, of resembling thee, the perfection of all excellency, of enjoying thee, the source of all happiness. O God, attend me in every part of my arduous and trying pil pilgrimage. I need the same counsel, defiance, comfort, I found at my beginning. Let my religion be more obvious to my conscience. I'm sorry. Let my religion be more con obvious to my conscience, more perceptible to those around. While Jesus is re representing me in heaven, may I reflect him on earth. While he pleads my cause, may I show forth his praise. Continue the gentleness of thy goodness towards me, and whether I wake or sleep, let thy presence go with me. Thy blessing attend me. Thou hast led me on, and I have found thy promises true. I have been sorrowful, but thou hast been my help. Fearful, but thou hast delivered me. Despairing, but thou hast lifted me up. Thy vows are ever upon me, and I praise thee, O God. Amen. 
All right, again, I hope you have yourself a wonderful day, and I hope to see you for the evening segment. Have a good one. God bless. Good evening and welcome to the evening segment of the Thursday, January 11th episode of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. I continue to be Wayne Floyd, your host. Sorry, I'm making a lot of noise there with my microphone. All right, we're going to be getting into our study of John chapter 11, or John chapter 17, excuse me. We're going to be getting back into it. But as we usually do, we're going to open up with prayer. And as we've been doing, we're, we're praying we're doing our prayer out of the book called At the Throne of Grace. It's from, you can find it at GTY, Grace to You, GTY.org. It's a collection of John MacArthur's prayers collected by his children. Um, and they're all based around um, scripture. And so they all lead in with the scripture they're based around. So uh, the one we're going to do today is called Praising God Alone. So let's pray. Uh, well, actually, first, here's the scripture, Psalm 146. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord while I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Do not trust in princes, in mortal man, in whom there is no salvation. His spirit departs. He returns to the earth. In that very day his thoughts perish. How blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God who made the heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord raises up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord protects the strangers. He supports the fatherless and the widow, but he thwarts the way of the wicked. The Lord will reign forever. Your God, O Zion, to all generations. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Eternal God and Heavenly Father, we echo the psalmist. Praise the Lord. We have not put our trust in human leaders and mortal beings, in them there is no salvation. But we have put our trust in you, the Lord our God, creator of heaven and earth. You are forever faithful. One day you will bring perfect justice throughout the earth. In the meantime, you provide for all the needs of your people. We thank you that you have filled the hungry, liberated captives. I'm sorry, you have filled the hungry, liberated captives, given sight to the blind, raised up those who are bowed down, and comforted those who are oppressed. Indeed, how blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God. We thank you that you love perfectly and everlastingly those who are covered with your righteousness. We worship you, Lord, as the maker and sustainer of all things. We give thanks to you, O God. We glorify you for your wondrous deeds. As blessed as we are to be under the cover of your grace, however, we must confess that we have sinned. We have broken your law, which is written in our hearts as well as in the scriptures. We have disregarded the voice of conscience and spurned the clear distinction of your spirit. I'm sorry, the clear direction of your spirit. Worse yet, we have at times refused the clear commands of your holy word. Yet you daily show us grace and long-suffering, and in Christ we are forgiven. Purge our lives of sin. Cleanse our souls from guilt, deliver us from earthly affections, guide our feet away from the path of evil, and make us walk in the way of righteousness, for the sake of your holy name. May we pursue the beauty of your holiness in the security of the hope you have set before us. 
May we never lose our firm assurance in a salvation that is forever. Thank you for equipping us with suitable spiritual armor to protect us against the wiles of the evil one. Thank you for such a great high priest who intercedes for us always. Thank you for your word which guides and teaches us. Graciously empower us to bind it upon our hearts and thus to set our minds on you. We long to understand your truths and to observe how you operate, so we can see blessing in every trial and joy in every sorrow. Fill our hearts with gratitude and praise, and may we see your design in everything. Cause us, Lord, to proclaim your gospel to all who will hear, and may we gain a better hearing, because both our doctrine and our practice manifest the glory of Christ in his saving work. In every condition of life, whether we struggle or prosper, suffer or rejoice, May we know that in your hands all these changes, I'm sorry, all these things are being worked together for our good and your eternal glory. We are privileged to be called your children, and we pour out our hearts in prayer to you, loving Father. In the name of your Son we pray. Amen. All right. And for our evening devotion uh, for this week we're using thomas watson's glorifying god and again as i've said before um great idea to read the puritans but if you're going to start into the puritans i would definitely recommend you go to thomas watson first he is easier to read than a number of the other ones some of them are very very tough to read so i would encourage you to go to him first um we've already done uh read one of his books here on the podcast. Um, and it was definitely, it was very edifying for me. I hope it was for all of you. Um, and it was much, it was very easy to read, particularly to read for a show like this. All right. Well, the, let's see the, um, sorry, the devotion we're doing here from glorifying God, Thomas Watson's book, glorifying God, uh, for January 11th is called ascribed glory to God through affection. And the text is Psalm 148, 13. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for his name alone is excellent. His glory is above the earth and heaven. Affection is part of the glory we give to God, who counts himself glorified when he is loved. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, and with all thy soul, and all thy might. Deuteronomy 6.5 There is a twofold love. First is a love of concupiscence, which is self-love, as when we love another. Because that person does does us a good turn. A wicked man may be said to love God because he has given him a good harvest or harvest or filled his cup with wine. This is rather to love God's blessing than to love God. The second is a love of delight as a man takes delight in a friend. This is to love God indeed. The heart is set upon God as a man's heart is set upon his treasure. This love is exuberant, not a few drops, but a stream. It is superlative. We give God the best of our love, the cream of it. This love is intense and ardent. True saints are seraphims, burning in holy love to God. He who is the chief of our happiness has the chief of our affections. All right. Well, so like I said, we're going to be continuing in our study of John chapter 17. And we've moved into this section. So so as we talked about before, um, it's very clear, uh, the, this prayer, as we've talked about before, um, this prayer is the real Lord's prayer. Um, and, and I'm not doing that to try to bash any former scholars or anything like that, but there's enough folks that have come out and realized that, 
you know, what we, what you and I call the Lord's prayer, or at least have for probably for most of our life is the fact that, um, it was actually a prayer and it was actually more of an example of here are the things you need to pray to the disciples. So it's more the disciples prayer than the Lord's prayer. But here in John 17, this is truly the Lord's prayer. This is God, or this is Jesus, God incarnate talking to God, the father. So, you know, um, it's a privy conversation between two parts of the triune Godhead. Um, and it's a conversation about the plan of God, about this, this wonderful plan of God that Jesus is key to. So, and, and it's broken into three parts. We see Jesus praying for himself, Jesus praying for his disciples and Jesus praying for the church. And again, when we say Jesus praying for himself, it's not, it's not the typical kind of prayer you and I would throw out there where, where he's going, Oh, please take this away from me. Please make this easier. Please give me some way to get through this. You know, none of that. It's Lord, may your work be done. You know, may I, may I have that right to give eternal life? You know, it, it wasn't even really an asking. It was like, thank you. You know, that I have this right of eternal life, this eternal life that is this relationship with those that, um, with those that believe in Jesus Christ. Um, and that, you know, stating clearly that he had glorified God on earth through his work and thus asking God to glorify him, um, meaning bring him back into heaven where he's supposed to be. And so we've come into this new section here that's called the Jesus praying for his disciples. We're moving into Jesus praying for his disciples, which is verses six through 19 of this. And we're dealing with the first section of it, which is verses six through 10, which is, um, as those whom the father has given him. So he's praying for the disciples as those who God gave him as a gift. And we've talked about that before, that they are a gift, that we are a gift given to Christ. We're in his inheritance. So what we're going to look at this evening is verses seven and eight under the title, because they had believed in him as the son. So I'm going to read this to you. John 17 verses seven and eight. Now they have come to know that everything you have given me is from you for the words, which you gave me, I have given to them and they received them and truly understood that I came forth from you and they believed that you sent me. So we're now starting to see the disciples truly grasp why the Messiah had come. Um, we've, we've repeatedly seen through the three year ministry here. Um, times when Jesus, you know, comes to them and goes, oh, men of little faith, um, his exasperation when he came down off the, uh, um, the Mount, Mount of, um, wow, I went blank where, where, um, wow, I can't think of the right word. Anyways, when, when Jesus was glorified by God and that's not the right word and we have a whole you know, thousand dollar word that Christians use. And I'm sorry, I'm going blank on it right now. Um, transfiguration. Wow. I finally came up with the word, the mountain of transfiguration where he and Peter James or yeah, Peter James and John went up and they see him with Moses and Elijah and you know, all that, but he's coming down. And as he comes down, he comes in, you know, into contact with the rest of his disciples and they've been trying to either heal or get a demon out. I think it's get a demon out. Oh, it's getting a demon out. Yeah. That is causing this man's child to have issues and they can't get rid of him. And, and of course he calls them men of little faith. 
But we see him do that throughout this three years. The, the, these that he's been teaching constantly. And they're just not quite getting it. And we, we're still seeing it even coming into this upper room discourse. Okay? Even coming into this upper room discourse that is John 13 through 16. That these guys just aren't getting it. Okay, they, they, they are truly flummoxed by this. It's a word I've used, and I know it's a very old word, so I'm kind of dating myself. But they're, they're truly, they truly have not gotten this. Because they still see Jesus as an earthly Messiah. They believe he's the Messiah. But they see him as an earthly Messiah, a temporal Messiah. They expect him as a military leader to come, and, and even a political leader, to come to take over the government of Israel, to throw the Romans out, to kick everybody else away from them, to bring peace to Israel and just shove everybody, you know, it, it's, it's, you know, and, and it's understandable because we'd have probably wanted that too. I, I'm sorry, we're heading in, we're in an election year, which I hate. <laughs> I hate it. Um, because it, I, I'm sorry, you, any of us that lived through 2016 and 2020 know what we're facing. And I'm sorry, as a kid, I never, I never remember it being this bad, but it has just become so awful. But even now, and, and I'm sorry, I'm not, I'm not commenting on the man as a whole, but we've recently sent, seen, um, an ad for, one of the candidates, one of the people who's trying to be a candidate and the ad basically puts him forward as the savior. It really does. Um, but you know, this would be a political savior. This would be, and, and, and that's what that, that context, that's what that society that these disciples have lived in. That's what they've expected. That's truly what they've been taught. Because the sad fact is the false religion that, that the Jewish religion had become by that point, that the Pharisees and the Sadducees and all that had, had, had just destroyed with their rabbinic traditions. They were looking for a man. Fact is they still are. They were looking for a worldly type of savior. The, the fact is they still are. I'm sorry. I, I was hearing, and I don't mean this to put the, put the guy down because I actually love listening to him, but Ben Shapiro. You hear him talking about who the Messiah is supposed to be. They still believe that. They still misunderstand that. I'm, I'm sorry. You go back through the prophets and it's very, very clear that the Messiah's primary focus on his first coming is spiritual salvation, spiritual peace, true loving relationship with God, bringing spiritual peace. It's clear, but they don't get it. And that that's that's the society these guys have come up in. Well, so we've talked about that, that they're, they're not quite grasping it and everything. But we we're seeing here, and so so we've seen Jesus trying to trying to strengthen their faith, trying to trying to lift them up, trying to support them to get them ready. Because he's about to be arrested. He's within hours of being arrested. Okay. He's within hours of getting being arrested. He gets arrested in the night. He's within hours of being arrested. And he's within less than a day of being crucified. Okay. So this is going to throw their faith into all, all out of kilter. Okay. So they're struggling. They're struggling with this. But what we're seeing here, because again, Jesus is God incarnate. So he manifests, manifests the same attributes of God. God, 
God doesn't say true things. God is truth, so the things he says are true. Well, Jesus manifests that. He's lived a perfectly righteous life. He will continue to live a perfectly righteous life. Therefore, the things he says are true. So what we see him say here in verse 7 and 8 are making clear that these guys are starting to grasp why the Messiah has come, that it's not necessarily a worldly salvation. It is a spiritual. Verse 7. Now they have come to know that everything you have given me is from you. What he's saying there is that these disciples are starting to grasp it. They're, they're struggling with stuff. Don't get me wrong. They're struggling with stuff. They're going to struggle with things for a while. And we're only going to see the full fruition of, of their coming to that massive saving knowledge on Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit indwells them. They're going to understand a little bit more when Jesus is resurrected and when he comes to see them. And they're going to realize, oh, this is why he had to die. Okay, got it. They're, they're going to start to put more pieces together. Do you ever, you ever do that? Um, you ever, ever putting a puzzle together, you're putting a puzzle together and you're sitting here trying, you know, you're looking at all these pieces going, you had absolutely no clue where these things go. But as you start to assemble things and things start to form together on the outsides, I always work from the outside in, from the outsides and you're starting to get an idea and you kind of got the box of the picture and you start, oh, here's where these pieces go. And you start getting a better idea of the area the pieces go to. And then as you get further along, you've got more pieces in. And so think this is what's happening with them. They're, they're starting to get things. Things are starting to click into place. And so that's what Jesus is saying here. Now they have come to know that everything you have given me is from you. What, what he's saying there is they are starting to understand that he is truly from God, that what he has been professing, and I said this last night, what he has been professing to them is absolutely and completely true. That, that he is who he's claimed to be, meaning he is from God. He has come from God. And they're acknowledging that. Now, I'm not saying they didn't before, but they're really starting to grasp that, that he truly comes from God. They've seen him for three years do these marvelous, marvelous miracles. And they've got a clear acknowledgement of the fact that he is doing these things from the power of God, totally in the face, totally flying in the face of what the religious, the religious elite who ought to know better and ought to truly understand this, who turn around and decide to be willfully ignorant in this case and say that Jesus does these things by the power of the power, by the power of Satan, which makes absolutely no logical sense, no logical sense. Satan wouldn't do the things that Jesus did. I mean, that that's just stupid. And that's not my opinion. I mean, that's just fact. Satan doesn't create. Satan doesn't heal. Satan doesn't make better. But that's what Jesus did. That's all Jesus did. Obviously, he wasn't working through the power of Satan. And these guys know it. These guys are getting it. This is what Jesus is saying. Verse 8. For the words which you gave me, I have given to them, and they received them and truly understood that I came forth from you, and they believed that you sent me. Again, what Jesus is saying there is they're getting it. They're getting it that I am from you that I am from God, that Jesus is from God. They are grasping this. 
that he is from God and that the things he is doing, as he said, these are things God has told me to do. These are things God has shown me to do and I am doing them. They are, they are grasping that, that, that there is a mission there, even, even if they're not quite understanding all of it, because there, there's, it's kind of obvious that they're struggling with some of it, but it's very clear that he's, he's, um, that he's saying to, he's making clear to God that these guys are understanding that they came, that he came from God, that he's come from God. And what they're, what they're showing here is they're seeing a clear indication and, and this is what he's talking about here. And this is why we have the title here because they've believed in him as the son. Again, that's it because they've believed in him in the son. That's what we're titling this. They are grasping it again. They're grasping it. It's not, they've come to the realization that this is not just a prophet, a prophet empowered by God, like Elijah or Elisha, you know, or even Moses. They're starting to grasp the fact that this is truly the son of God. Um, um, they, they're, they're so totally blessed by this. Um, think about it. Um, one of the, one of the theologians I ran across kind of made the point is they're coming to the realization that they've been walking with the son of God for three years and watched him do God's works. How much more of a divine, um, and what was the wording he used? Um, a, he calls it a spiritual miracle for them to see that. And it's a spiritual miracle more wonderful than watching the man who was born without the ability to see be given sight because they have watched the son of God. They've walked with the son of God. They've watched him live a perfectly righteous life and do only what the father commanded. He's done nothing for himself. This is a man who has been, who has walked. And, and I don't know that you and I can even picture it. I'm, and, I, and, I, and I only think the reason these guys could picture it is because they watched it happen. But I don't know that you and I living in the world we live in can picture someone living a perfectly selfless life, a perfectly selfless life. I don't know that we know what that looks like. I mean, we, we can intellectually talk about it um, and we can give it, you know, we can give it descriptors and parameters and all of that. But do we really know what that looks like? But they've walked with that. They've walked with that day after day, night after night for three years. And they've watched him do these amazing things, these creating, healing, saving, making better like I've said before, he basically eradicated disease in the area. I mean, totally changed that out. How many people, because again, we think about it and we run across these things, the man born blind, uh, the man at the pool of Bethesda that was lame. Um, and there were many, many others from the other gospels, people that were hurt, the man with the withered hand, people like that, that we, we sit there and we go, oh yeah, neat miracle. No, no, no. He gave them back their lives. All three of those I just described, they could not work. They could not support themselves. They had to depend on people, hopefully giving them something. People who 
honestly were living hand to mouth already and hopefully they gave them a little bit which would mean they'd be living living on the these that that had these issues that jesus healed would be living on less than the average person was living on already but he's given them their lives back he's given them their lives back and there were many many more i mean there were more than just the couple i've i've um alliterated here Throughout the Gospels, throughout all four Gospels, specifically listed. But then I'm sure there are more. We see John here at the end of his Gospel in, in verse 20 or in chapter 21 talk about it that there were many, many more um, miracles that he, he didn't record at all. That if he had tried to record all the ones that were done, it, it would it would be. Oh, actually, I'm going to go look at it because I want to use his wording. Sorry, I'm clicking over there. Um, and there are also many other things which Jesus did, which if they were written one after the other, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. That's John 21, 25. So again, how many other people, how many people, I mean, again, he, he basically changed the character of that area and, and provided for them, for, for these people that, um, you know, basically couldn't support themselves and, and nor could their families. Cause we have to understand that. Sorry about that little gap there. <laughs> I needed to blow my nose and it took, for some reason, when I clicked the pause button there for a minute, it didn't pause right away. But anyways, they've watched him do this and they're coming. This is what Jesus is telling is stating here is stating here to God in his prayer to God. And again, I'm going to read it again, verses 7 and 8 in John 17. Now they have come to know that everything you have given me is from you. So they've come to know that all of that that he has is from God, in, including the power that he is manifesting is the power of God. Verse 8, for the words which you gave me, I've given to them. So then again, the law and the prophets, he has given to them. He, he is feeding them with it. He's feeding them with the bread of life. And they received them going on and they received them and truly understood that I came forth from you indicating they truly understood that I came from you. Not, not just that I came down, but, but I'm your son. They, they're truly understanding that I'm the son of God and they believed that you sent me believing that he's the son of God and that the father sent him there for a specific purpose. Like I said, they're starting to truly grasp what this plan is. They don't know it all. And again, they're, they're going to struggle a little bit. They're going to understand a little bit more when he's resurrected. And then they're going to understand even better when the Holy Spirit hits them. And I've talked about how when, when the Holy Spirit saved me, when, when the Holy Spirit did that work and brought me to a saving faith, um, the, 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 the scales that fell from my eyes and the, the, the just exploding of understanding of scripture that I'd never understood before, or that I thought I did and realized I had no clue what it said. These are the kind of things, this is what's happening, but these guys are starting, things are starting to enlighten. They are starting to become more enlightened. They're starting to grasp this, that there's more going on here than our society understood. There's more going on here that we 12 that have walked with him really grasped. And this is where we need to go. This is what we need to do. This is, this is, this is the understanding we need to have. And that's what Jesus is saying. They're starting to grasp it. They are understanding it. And these are the ones 
whom the Father had given him, because they had believed in him as the Son. All right, that's going to do it for today. Thank you for spending that t- this time with me. I continue to pray that this gives us all a better understanding of the scripture. Um, I hope you have a great night, and I hope to get to see you in the morning. Let's go ahead and close out with prayer. We're going to close out with one um, from Valley of Vision. It's the fifth day evening prayer. It's called Protection. Let's pray. O Lord God, thou art our preserver, governor, savior, and coming judge. Quiet in our souls to call upon thy name. Detach us from the influence of the flesh and the senses. Impress us with the power of faith. Promote in us spirituality of mind that will render our services acceptable to thee and delightful and profitable to ourselves. Bring us into that state which attracts thine eye and prepare us to receive the proofs of thy love. Show us our danger that we may fly to thee for refuge. Make us sensible of our sin's disease that we may value the good physician. Placard to us the cross that it may slay the enmity of our hearts. Help us to be watchful over our ways, jealous over our tempers, diligent over our hearts. When we droop, revive us. When we go astray, restore us. Possess us with more of that faith, which is the principle of all vital godliness. May we be rich in faith, be strong in faith, live by faith, walk by faith, experience the joy of faith, do the work of faith, hope through faith, perceiving nothing in ourselves, may we find in the Savior wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, redemption. Amen. All right, again, thank you for spending this time with me, and I hope you have a wonderful night. God bless.